0: Welcome to 2018. Happy New Year to their first Sunday in 2018. No better way to start the new year than opening our Bibles. So grab your Bibles. Let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 31. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to page 660, Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, Today we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series called The Promise. We started this, what, four or five weeks ago as part of the Advent uh, series to help prepare our hearts uh, for Christmas and just carried it through into the new year. I don't think there's any better way to ring in the new year than today uh, we're going to be talking about the new covenant. Um, The new covenant is the most important covenant made in Scripture. And it is often the one that gets the least amount of conversation. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, this is by far the covenant that was most overlooked in the Old Testament times. And um, uh, I think often is overlooked even in our times. And, and uh, in fact, it's only mentioned once, the New Covenant. Mentioned once in the entire Old Testament right here in the passage we're going to be reading together. So let's read about the new covenant, and then we are going to um, unpack it a little bit. All right, so Jeremiah 31. Read along with me as I read 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys. Um, <laughs> I will make a new covenant. Not, not like the old one. Not, not like the one. I will, take, I will make a new covenant. What I love about this is, is we talk about the new covenant. It's often capitalized. In fact, the whole second uh, portion of your Bible, the New Testament, is named after this covenant. Covenant, testament, same word. Uh, different words mean the same thing. Um, but it's not a title here. It's a description, right? He's not saying, hey, I'm going to give you a covenant that I've, I'm going to come up with this great name. It's called the new covenant. No, he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant and it's new in comparison to the old. So the new covenant, that title is a description, not a title. It's not like the one that I, that I made with Israel when I took Israel by the hand and led them out of Egypt. He's talking there about the covenant that, that God made with the nation of Israel through a mediator named Moses. We talked about that one last week. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant, also known as the Law or the Old Testament. He's like, it's not, it's not like that, right? It will be new. Now, this is a, uh, a tiny little reference. That is the only place in the Old Testament the New Covenant is, is mentioned. And, uh, and honestly, it would be understandable if you had read through the Bible if you completely missed it right? If you just missed it, the most important covenant made in Scripture. Um, that's it, man. It's this tiny little mention. Um, but here's the thing. Jesus won't let you. Um, I love this. On the night of his last supper, when he was meeting with his disciples, they're sharing a Passover meal, and it gets toward the end of the meal, and he knows what's coming that night. It's that Thursday night. He's going to be uh, betrayed and handed over um, to, uh, to, to be crucified, Right? And as he's sharing a meal with them, he gives the meal an entirely new meeting. Right? He's like, hey, as we break this bread, man, from now on when you break this bread, I want it to remind you of my body that's going to be broken for you. Right? And when you come together and you break your bread, I also want you to share the cup because this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We say that every single week because we share communion every single week. We celebrate the new covenant every single week because Jesus told us that we are to remind ourselves of this covenant every single week. Every time you gather, I want you to remember. And of course, that covenant was inaugurated with his blood because as you look, there is no covenant made in Scripture that isn't made without blood. And in this case, it was made with his own. So this tiny overlooked reference to the new covenant is actually predicting the most important covenant of all the one that every other covenant looks forward to and finds its fulfillment in. So we, we named this series The Promise because what we've been doing over the course of this series is, if you've been here, if not, just a recap, but we have been tracing um, a series of promises that God gives, a series of, of covenants, of promise um, that, that uh, really are a golden thread of hope that run through the broken and twisted tapestry of human history that show us that God has not abandoned us. He has not uh, left us in our brokenness. He, had not, he has not given us over to our sin, our rebellion, our, our evil. He, he, he has promised to redeem and restore, right? And, and that began in the garden, right? In the midst of the very rebellion itself, before the dust had even settled, God said in the midst of it, I will send a son of Eve. There will be a son of the woman. And even though his heel is bruised, man, he's going to crush the head of your enemy, he is going to be victorious over what is against you, right? I will send a son, later he said, a son of Noah, who, who will be a better ark, who will, who will bear judgment and carry you safely through that judgment and deliver you to the land of blessing on the other side where, where my bow of justice will be hung forever because it was satisfied in the judgment of the ark. I will send a seed of Abraham. A son of Abraham who will create a whole new humanity, a new people as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore, and those people will be delivered into a promised land. They will be taken home, a place where shalom thrives. They will receive the inheritance, and in that land there will be a son of David, a son who sits on the throne of Israel forever. A son who will, who will magnify what is good and put an end to the injustice and the abuse of wicked men. There will be a king who brings justice. The new covenant, the new covenant is the place where all those other promises find their fulfillment. The new covenant is the greatest and most beautiful covenant of promise because it takes all of those previous promises and brings them into one glorious covenant of promise between God and mankind. Now we live, of course, between the advents. We've been talking about this over the course of the last month. The first advent, Jesus came uh, to inaugurate that covenant. We're going to talk more about that. But, but he came to be the fulfillment, the, the, the son of Eve, the, the son of Noah, the son of Abraham, and the son of David. So he, he won and he delivers. But we haven't yet fully experienced the full blessing of those promises because there's a second advent. We live in the valley between the two advents. We live in this space where God is doing something, um, Uh, in between, before he brings in the the fulfillment. And so we have a joy from looking back, and we have a yearning and a longing looking forward. It is the tension of Advent. But here's the thing, when we read through Jeremiah, the passage we just read, Jeremiah doesn't even mention the covenants of promise, right? Now, the new covenant is the fulfillment of all of those promises, but that's not his point in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 It's focusing on how the new covenant is fundamentally different from the covenant of law, from the old covenant, the covenant that that Moses mediated with the nation of of Israel. So, so just to put a graphic up to help, I hope, make this a little bit clear. If you've been in this uh, series with me over the last month, this is really just a way to, to visually summarize some of the things we've been hitting on. God gives a series of covenants through the Old Testament called the covenants of promise, and those covenants build on each other, and, and, and they grow, and they find their fulfillment in the new covenant. They flow like a river into a sea, and the sea of blessing is the new covenant. The the covenant of law, the Mosaic covenant, came in alongside the covenants of promise, right? In fact, in in Galatians 3.19, Paul says specifically, while he's talking about how uh, the, the law and the promise are different, he says, you know that covenant of law? It was added to the covenants of promise for transgression." It was added to it. It was, it was like an addition. It ran alongside the covenants of promise for transgression. And we talked about that last week, that, that God had a specific purpose for giving the law, right? The law was, was not a covenant of promise. It was a, it was a covenant of performance. It was, it was a deal. It was, it was you do this and you get blessed, but you break this and you get cursed. And it had a very specific purpose. Its purpose was not to make anyone better, right? The Ten Commandments weren't given so that you can have a a new and improved and God-ordained self-improvement project, right? The the Ten Commandments weren't given to make you better. They weren't given to improve you. They weren't given to help you out. They were given to condemn you. The Ten Commandments and and the other 613 along with them, right? They were given in order to to condemn. Why? So that that Israel would be, no, not, not, not crushed but awakened to humility. It was a gift of grace that was meant to awaken their need for grace because as they lived under the covenant of law and were condemned by the rules they could not keep, it awakened within them an appetite for the covenants of promise and a humility that led them to a place where they needed grace, not help where they begged for for unconditional love, not just a little bit of help in cleaning up their lives. The law came in to do this. And, And when Jesus came to bring in the new covenant, he was the first Jewish man born in human history who fulfilled the law and could claim its blessing. And when he did, he fulfilled the covenant of law. He claimed its blessing. It was paid out to him. It is now no longer a covenant in force. It is a covenant fulfilled because Jesus claimed the blessing. And so when we come into the new covenant, the old covenant is fulfilled. It wasn't abolished. It was, a, it was an agreement that was fulfilled. And when Jesus um, brought it, uh, fulfilled its, its expectations and claimed its blessing. So, so here's the nature of the law that I want you to catch. The reason the law couldn't change us is that it came in with external expectations, right, with the purpose of modifying behavior. Start doing this, stop doing that, right? Parents, you know, how, when you bring rules into your house, right, how good is, are those rules at actually changing the nature of your children? Is that really successful? Is that, is that you found that to be a great way of actually changing who they are is by just giving them more rules? <laughs> you're not doing so well, you need some more rules, right? Let's put some more limitations on there. Let's have a few more battles around dinner, right? Let's have a few more battles before bedtime, right? What what ends up happening is, is the law comes in and it creates this external pressure to mold us into a specific behavioral pattern, right? Think of it like a girdle, right? You put it on and you cinch it up, right? And it changes the way you look, but it doesn't change who you are right? Your nature is still exactly the same. The law simply comes in and cinches it up with promises of blessing or, or threats of, 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 of punishment. You take away the threats, you take away the promises, it all comes right back, right? Because who we are is always going to be expressed in what we do. The law couldn't change who we are. It could simply put uh, penalties or rewards in place to change what we do. Rules can clean up a person's behavior, but rules cannot change a person's heart. So running through the Old Testament period, you had these covenants of promise, and you had this covenant of law. And the covenant of law had a purpose of driving the Jewish people more desperately into the covenants of promise, right? The covenant of law was meant to awaken a grace-fueled despair, a despair in saving myself and fixing myself and driving them into the grace of the promise, where God says, I love you and I will do this for you, I promise by my character, not by your performance. The Jewish people desperately needed a new covenant. The Jewish people desperately needed a covenant that was not like the one that God gave their parents when he took them out of Egypt. So, how is it different? Take a look at verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. All right, this is a fundamental and revolutionary difference in covenants. Instead of uh, the law being carved in stone like the original Ten Commandments were, cold, unresponsive, demanding, and unfeeling, totally impersonal. God says, I will write my law on their hearts. Living, internal, personal. Instead of an external expectation that pressures our behavior into change, it will now be an internal force that changes the very source of our behavior. The law doesn't just work on our behavior, not the new covenant law. The new covenant law works on our desires. You guys, the new covenant is the promise of ultimate freedom. The new covenant is the greatest of all promises. It is the promise of ultimate and absolute freedom think about this, you guys, freedom. When we think about freedom in America, a lot of times we think in terms of of freedom of choice and freedom for me, and, and usually that means I am free to do what I want when I want, how I want, say what I want, get what I want right True freedom for me was having would be having an unlimited supply of whatever it is I think I most want. you know what i 'm saying like if I want money uh, so I can go on more vacations, freedom would be being able to go on every vacation ever made free If it was fame, I would be the most famous person ever if, if it was if it was um, love, everybody would adore me right? Um, But the problem is this, you guys. You can never be genuinely free by getting more of what can't set you free. Because here's the thing, what we're trying to do is change our hearts by getting a a freedom of choice in behavior, And, and it never works that way. If this were true, listen to me, if this were true, a drug addict with an unending supply of drugs would be the most free person on earth. Right? But we look at that and we're like, no, that's not freedom. That's slavery. It's the same with money. It's the same with fame. It's the same with, it, it's slavery. You know why? Because freedom doesn't come from getting more of something you want to do or have or, or whatever. Freedom comes from having desires that are realigned with what is good. If you have broken and bent desires, it doesn't matter how much more you satisfy them, they will never bring you genuine satisfaction. It will never bring you into genuine shalom. It will never bring you into genuine fullness and flourishing and, 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 and joy of life. It'll just bring you more of what already wasn't satisfying you. Freedom doesn't come from getting to do whatever you want. Freedom comes from wanting to do what is good. Freedom doesn't come from alterations around us freedom comes from an alteration in us you guys this is the profound promise of the new covenant this is the gift of the gospel if you are a believer in jesus you have been indwelled by the very spirit of god right the holy spirit has come and indwelled you That is, it is a a common uh, theological assertion throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself predicted it in John uh, 15 through 18. He's like, man, when I leave, I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he is going to indwell you. And in fact, it's such an incredible gift. Jesus said something really crazy. He was like, you know what, you guys? It is actually to your advantage that I leave. Because when I go, I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to come and indwell you. You guys, the law written on our hearts in the new covenant is the presence and relationship of God himself intimately convening with us. It is relationship, not performance. It is, it is the indwelling spirit of God because the indwelling spirit of God is the only one who can actually change our desires, right? We're so focused on changing our behavior, but God's not, that's not God's goal, God's primary goal is not to change our behavior. It is to realign our desires so that we desire what is truly good, so that we take joy in what is truly joyful, so we celebrate in what is honest and good and holy and right and righteous. Instead of competing with God for all of these things, we rest in God and celebrate what is good. Only God can change the source of our behavior, and He does that by giving us the Spirit by writing the law of God on our hearts. So let's pause for a minute because this this promise is is ridiculous, (laughs) right? If you're a believer in Christ, the Spirit of God is going to come and indwell you. And and when the Spirit of God comes and indwells you, you're gonna have all the power of the universe. You're gonna have all of the joy, all of the freedom, all of the, it's all right there. It's It's all been given to you. You have every blessing in Christ already given to you. Believer in Christ, how's that going for you? You living it out, man? You living in an absolute, unlimited, unboundless joy? Power? Overcoming every every obstacle, breaking through every stronghold? No? No? Is is that possibly why you're so tempted to make resolutions every year? Because it's not working out so great like that? Like, I, I need to lose some weight. I need to stop eating so much. Why? Because, man, I just like to eat. So you try to address the behavior when the issue is the desire. I need to stop spending so much money on impulse buying. I I need to save more. You're trying to address the behavior, the problems with the desire. I, I I need to actually apply myself and start using my time to study and to read and to do good things instead of just playing online video games all the time. Okay? Addressing the behavior. All right, let me ask you something, believers in Christ. This is true then why doesn't it feel like it? God has made a new covenant with you in which he has written the law of God on your heart. The spirit of God himself indwells you. Why is life so hard? Why is it so hard to live out? Why do we find the same bad behaviors returning? Why do we same, find the same negative thoughts entrapping us? Why do we find the, the same, all of this stuff that, that is so difficult? Why? Because while he has given you a new heart, It's still encased in a body of flesh. The term flesh is used throughout the New Testament in a very technical way to talk about the broken inheritance that we've received from our first parents. So, when I talk about the flesh, I'm not talking about this this bag of flesh and bones, okay? I am talking about something in me that was broken when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they said, we will be equal to God. We will provide for ourselves. We will claim our own glory. We, we will mark our own affirmation. We will not rest in God. We will compete with God. There is a restless force within me that is still driven by those same worldly impulses to try to do life without God, to compete with God instead of resting in God. I have a new heart, but it is encased in this flesh. There is a piece of me that still carries the broken worldliness of rebellion and slavery. Which is why the Christian life is a life of struggle. We live between the advents. The blessing has been given, but its full power has not yet been experienced. We have received the full blessing. We are, as believers in Christ, seated in the heavenlies with Christ, children of God, holy and beloved, and yet we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for the the full kingdom of God to be realized. It's not that there's any more battles that need to be won. It's already been won, but we're waiting for the victory march to arrive, which is why even though the blessing has been given, we have a hard time living in it. This is why even though we are new covenant believers, we still struggle and find ourselves going back to the principles of the law over and over again. You guys this I want to unpack this because we will continually be tempted to try to solve spiritual problems with worldly solutions. We will continually try instead of leaning into the grace of the new covenant, lean back into the performance the old because it's exactly what we expect. We're comfortable with the law. We're comfortable with the old covenant. You're like, nah, Steve, I don't like rules. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about whether you like rules or dislike rules. I'm talking about how you view life. In fact, let me show you this. We're going to put this up on the screen. This is how we often approach and think about God. God shows up with his authority and then says, you are accountable to me. Do what I say, right? And then if we are accountable, if we submit ourselves then we will receive some form of affirmation, an attaboy. Good job on that one, Steve. That was good obedience. Keep it up. Keep it up. Because if you keep it up long enough, then you'll be accepted. Then you'll be loved. We think, by default, this is how God works with us. You know why? Why? Because this is how every other relationship in life works. This seems normal to us because this is normal for us. This is how life works. If you perform, then you are accepted. Right? Think about your relationships, whether it's at work with your boss or whether it's in the cul-de-sac with your neighborhood community or whether it's with your family, your spouse, your children. I come with expectations, and when you meet those expectations, when you are for me what I want you to be, when you treat me the way I want you to treat me, then I give you affirmation. Well, that was a good job. Well done. Yeah, we warm up, and if you do it long enough, I might even like you, and if you do it long enough, I might even love you. Which is why we have that crazy thing of, well, you know, I just kind of fell out of love with them. What? You don't fall into love and fall out of love as if it were like a pit, right? All you're saying at that point is they stopped submitting to my desires. They stopped doing the things I wanted them to do for me. They stopped being for me what I wanted them to be and doing for me what I wanted them to do. And because they did, I withdrew my affirmation, and my acceptance. This is how life works. This is the system we have created in our worldliness. Apart from God, we no longer share communion with God and joy with one another. We no longer live in community. We live in competition. Life is a a place of limited resources. I need to keep what I have and get more. And, And if you start taking more than you give, well, you know, 2018, get the takers out of your life, man. You don't need that kind of negativity, right? That's a good solution for 2018. Get those needy people out of your life. You want people that are giving more to you than they're taking, right? That's a solution that ends in misery. Right, listen, this is the way life works because this is the system we've created. That's why we think God works with us this way. You're going to find yourself in your quiet moments when you're not paying attention, assuming this is the way it works. God blesses me when I'm good, and God curses me when I'm bad. I'm having a bad day. I wonder what I did wrong. I didn't get the promotion. Man, what did I I do wrong? God's punishing me. Hey, man, I did something good. God, I deserve blessing. I can't believe this is happening to me. I was doing all the right things. This is the mindset that drives the law. And the law only brings condemnation and death, you guys. But we keep going back here because it's comfortable. We keep going back here because everything in life reinforces to us that this is the way things really are. Perform and you'll be accepted. You guys, the new covenant is radically different. Because it completely upends our expectations. When you approach God in the new covenant, God doesn't lead out with his authority, he leads out with his love. That's the message of the gospel. God looks at you, not you on your best day, not you in your best behavior, not you when you're impressed with yourself. Not you when other people are impressed with you. You, as you really are, because God sees you in ways you don't even have the stomach to see yourself. He sees you in all your flaw, in all your shame, in all your guilt, and all your brokenness, and he says, I love you because I choose to. Not because you've earned it. Not because you've provoked within me some source of a sense of affection. I love you because I choose to love you. And because I love you, I affirm you. I speak comforting words of grace. I speak to you the open door of the invitation of love. Do you want to draw near to me? Draw near. Don't try to clean yourself up first. That's the law. Don't don't try to God's not like, hey. I'll accept you if you will take care of this, if you'll stop doing this, if you can eventually overcome this. Yeah, but Steve, I know the initial invitation of the gospel is like that, that that anybody can believe the gospel and become a believer, but once we become a believer, aren't we supposed to get better? Aren't we supposed to get more holy and, and doesn't God get frustrated with all of my failures and all of my brokenness? Doesn't there ever come a point where God is like, that was one time too many? I offered you unconditional acceptance, but no longer because you didn't perform well enough. Does that even make sense? God's love is expressed to us in grace upon grace upon grace. Grace is undeserved and unearned favor, it is the invitation to intimacy, an invitation to relationship, an invitation to love that is a never-ending invitation that you can't earn, and you can't lose by a lack of earning. God leads with love, not with authority. God doesn't say, clean yourself up, and then I might like you. God doesn't say, if you will do this, then I will do this. That's the language of the law. God says, I promise to love you even when you can't love yourself. I promise to affirm you even when the voice at the back of your head is simply filling you with condemnation. I promise to give myself for your good. I promise to give you every blessing you have ever lost. I promise to restore it all. Something amazing happens when that kind of love breaks into our lives. Something amazing happens when our soul wakes up to the power of grace. When we stop performing and trying to prove ourselves because we are so just lost in being loved. We're so amazed in the grace of God. We, we forgot to try to clean ourselves up. We forgot to try to fix ourselves. We were just so filled with the experience of being loved by God. You know what happens in that state? You make yourself accountable to the one who loves you because you trust him more than you trust yourself. His love is so radical, so powerful, so incredible that you're like, man, I I don't trust myself as much as I trust you. I don't trust my plan for my life as much as I trust your plan for my life. I don't, I don't trust my, my, I think I need to have this to be happy. You're telling me, no, that's not it. I need this. I think I trust you. We make ourselves accountable to those that we love. When someone loves us profoundly, it awakens within us a trust that leads us to be accountable to their authority. Do you see the radical difference? The law says you better obey or you're going to lose my favor. Grace says, I love you. And I want the best for you. Come on follow me. Radically different. Think about the profound implications this has for every area of life, not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with our spouses. How often do we look at people we love and we say, you're not doing what I want you to do, so I'm going to withdraw my affection. I'm going to withdraw my affirmation from you because you don't deserve it right now. I'm going to wait until you earn it. You know what that unleashes in your marriage? Death. Because it's the power of the law, and the only thing law can bring is death and condemnation. Think about it in relationship to your children. How often do we look at our kids and say, until you meet my expectations, I will withdraw my affection? You want to talk about damaging a child's soul? God leads with love and then calls us in the power of being loved to love. It is a radically unintuitive paradigm for life, and it can only work its way out in our lives if we begin by being loved. Listen, I just unleashed a whole flood of guilt in some of your souls. Do you realize that God loves you in your failure as much as he ever did in any of your successes? That there is grace even now, and in fact, especially now, that God can take your greatest failures and turn them into your greatest successes. Do you believe that? That God can take death and bring resurrection? Do you realize there is hope for you in your marriage? There's hope for you in your parenting. There's hope for you in your job. There's hope for you in all of these things. Not because you can perform better, but because God is a God of grace. And God in his grace gives us what we can never earn and will never deserve. That is the power of new covenant. That is the power of the law of God being written on our hearts. We are called not first to obey, we are called first to be loved. And our hearts will respond to that love. And as our hearts respond to that love, it will awaken within us a humility and a trust we can never produce on our own. This is what it means when when God promises, I will write the law of God on their hearts. Not the Mosaic law. God's not going to inscribe in tiny little script the 613 commands on your heart. That's not the way it works. He's going to inscribe the true law, the law of love. Because if you have the law of love, you don't need any other law. When Jesus was asked in his earthly ministry, what's the greatest commandment? It was a trick question by a lawyer. Lawyers are great at trick questions. And he came up and he was trying to get him to be able to trap him in his words and divide his followers. And, and, and Jesus said this. Put it up on the screen. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40. He says, and, and he said to him, the lawyer, this is the, this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. Love others. That's the greatest commandment. Not not, thou shalt not lie. Not thou shalt not commit adultery. Not thou shalt not steal. Not thou shalt not drink or dance or smoke or chew or go with people who do, right? It, it, it not, those are not the greatest The greatest laws. Love God, love others. And then he says this incredibly profound thing. On these two commandments, these things are the foundation of the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the law under the law. This is what everything else is built on. And if you have this, you don't need any of the rest of it. Because if you're building on the law of love, you'll build something straight and true with integrity. If your obedience doesn't flow from love, it is not obedience. It's performance. It is not trust. Paul puts it this way in Galatians five fourteen. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's more than one word. What word do you think he's talking about there? It's pretty obvious. It's love. There's one word that is the fulfillment of the law. Love. The argument is clear. If your desires are driven by love, you don't need laws to control your behavior. If your heart is genuinely set free by the Spirit of God inscribing on your heart the profound and unlimited love of God, it will realign your desires with what is good and holy and right and just. And as God realigns your desires, you don't need rules to control your behavior. That's genuine freedom there will come a point, believer in Christ, where you will be able to follow every impulse of your heart. Every impulse. Because every impulse will come from a wellspring of desires that are perfectly aligned with the glory and the goodness of God. This is freedom, love. Love does what no law ever could. It frees us by changing us. Not by compressing us, not by limiting us, not by threatening us or, or, or bribing us, but by transforming us. It does what no restraint of behavior could ever do. It actually changes the source of our behavior. Now, when you think about this, you guys, what this means is that the new covenant is the greatest of all the covenants, right? The the, the Adamic covenant, man, that that God is going to send a hero who will crush the head of our enemy even though he is bruised. Man, that was totally Jesus, right? The the Noahic covenant, that that God would send an ark that would carry us through through the judgment of God, would bear the judgment of God, but carry us safely through that judgment and deliver us safely into a land of promise where the, the the justice of God would be humped. Right? Jesus totally fulfills that. The Abrahamic covenant that God would make a new people, a new humanity, a people for God's own possession, a people that are set apart and blessed by God, who would be a blessing to the entire world, who would receive the promised land of Shalom, that would actually receive the true inheritance we've received that in Jesus, right? That that, that Jesus would give us a king who would bring genuine righteousness. It's all there, and it's all wrapped up right here, and you know how it's delivered to us? Not by God doing these external things for us, but by God doing this radical thing in us. The new covenant is what delivers us into the blessing of all the other covenants of promise. Because it's in the new covenant that God actually reaches in to our broken souls and heals what was broken and makes straight what was bent. It is in the new covenant that God reaches in and says, I will realign the very fabric of your being. I will realign your desires with what is good and holy and right and just. You will want what is good. And in wanting what is good, you will walk into the full blessing." of Shalom. You guys, we don't look to the Abrahamic covenant like, oh, that's a great covenant. I'm so happy about it. I'm glad there was an Abrahamic covenant, but you know what? There's a better covenant. It's called the new one. I'm really glad there's a covenant with David that God is going to bring a righteous kingdom and put an end to the wickedness of man and bring a flourishing area for, for mankind to thrive. That's awesome, but you know what? I don't look back to the Davidic covenant and say, man, my hope's in the Davidic covenant because my hope's in the new covenant. Man, in the new covenant, you get all the blessings and more. Because they're not external. The most fundamental foundational changes take place within us, not around us. And because they take place in us, we can actually enter into what He will change around us. Love. Love God, love others. I don't know about you, but this is where my heart goes at this point. If true freedom comes from loving God and loving others. Then, man, I think I'm going to get good at loving God and loving others. In fact, I think I'm going to create a checklist that helps me love God and love others. I, I think I'm actually going to start, like, man, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every half hour on the half hour. I'm, I'm going to memorize Scripture. i love people. Man, I'm going to love people. Every time I get a chance, I'm going to love people. Random act of kindness, love, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for things, I'm gonna give things away, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do that, and 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 how long does that work? Like a minute. You're not even done making your list, you're already exhausted. Whew, I can't do all this. <laughs> Here's the thing, you guys, we take the spirit of law, we apply it to the work of the spirit because that's the brokenness of the worldliness of our hearts. We want to take everything and turn it into something we do, something we can accomplish, something that we can take credit for, something that helps us climb the ladder back to God instead of laying helplessly at the base of the ladder saying, give grace to me because I'm helpless and broken and needy. You can't turn love into a law you cannot make yourself love God more. You can't. The best you're going to become is a, is, a, is a cheap imitation cheerleader for Jesus where you're running around, I love God, I love God, I love God. Doing your best to convince yourself and others while meanwhile you're dying on the inside. So, what do we do with this, you guys? What do we do with this? We don't turn it into a checklist to be accomplished, a thing to be done, a mountain to be climbed. We can't turn love into a work, something I do to impress myself or impress God. We can't resolve to love God more. So what do we do, because that's stupid. And if we do that, we're going to fail. What do we do? (laughs) We resolve to be loved by God. If you want to love God more, you're going to have to be loved more by God. Now, here's the thing. God already loves you infinitely, so it's not like you can provoke him to love you more. It just means you can humble yourself to receive it more. One of the great challenges of the Christian life is learning to be loved. The unconditional, unrestricted love of God. To actually convince yourself that God doesn't love you more when you do well. God isn't impressed with you when you, you suddenly develop new levels of self-control. God, God, is not, God is not suddenly like, oh yeah, now you're doing really well. I like you more. We bring ourselves again and again and again and again to the gospel to allow the gospel to humble our hearts and free us into love. I am loved exactly as I am, exactly where I am. In all of my brokenness, in all of my sinfulness, in all of my guilt, in all of my shame, God loves me as much right now in my sin as He did yesterday when I was doing so great in my self-control. God loves me in my shame. Every bit as much as when I'm standing in my glory. We need to beat that truth into our heads and hammer it into our hearts. God is not impressed with our performance, and God's grace is not contingent on our behavior. Because something radical happens when we let ourselves simply be loved by God. We love because he first loved us. When we experience that kind of radical outpouring of love in our lives, it awakens within us a responding love. We receive, God produces. We receive grace. We receive blessing. God produces uh, a responding love. To receive that love instead of trying to earn that love makes all the difference. You guys, fill your vision with the God who loves you. Not with your performance for that God. Stop focusing on your work for God. Focus instead on His work for you. You want to grow in the freedom of the new covenant? Focus on the love of God who made that covenant. Because that covenant was a promise. Not conditional on your performance. Something to be received, not something to be earned. You want to make a New Year's resolution? I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. Most of them are are attempts to try to fix what only God can fix. Make New Year's goals. They're awesome. We should all have goals. you want a resolution, make this your resolution. To be loved by God. To make that your primary truth. To make that your primary experience. To make that the most important thing about you. You want to slide your resume across the table so people are impressed with you? (laughs) The sovereign God of the universe, the creator of all things, loves me. Receive that love. Respond to that love. And that love will change you. That love will set you free in ways no amount of self-effort or work ever can do. So, to close, think about the Lord's Supper, because it was at the Lord's Supper, that final meal, the Passover meal, where Jesus instituted, and he said, this bread broken now represents my body. This cup now represents my spilled blood. Every time you gather, do this remembrance of me, right? Think about the profound truth of that. Every single time we approach God in communion, we are reminded that God initiated toward us in love, not approached us in the commanding authority of condemnation or expectation. Communion isn't like, hey, if you deserve it, come break this bread. Hey, if you've earned it this week, come share this cup. It's an invitation that says, hey, do you need grace? This is for you. Every single time, right? The new covenant was formed, with this powerful physical symbol that is meant to remind us as the body of Christ that our only hope and our perfect joy comes in the promise of God, not our performance for Him. Because the way Jesus made this covenant is is Jesus, the perfect Son of God, took your place in judgment. In his body, he became your ark. He absorbed the consequence of your sin. He he took the embodiment of your shame. He who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God. And he didn't do it because you earned it or you talked him into it or because you were attractive enough. He did it because he chose to love you. And in choosing to love you, he laid down his life for you that you might be blessed in him. His blood became the seal of that covenant by paying the price for your sin. He didn't send another telegram, another Ten Commandments carved in stone. He sent himself so that he himself might become the embodiment of love. And in becoming the embodiment of love, he might actually convince you that he loves you. 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 As you are where you are and that he leaves you too much to leave you as you are and where you are. He will change you, he will free you, and he will get all the credit for doing it because he's going to do it by changing your desires instead of you changing your behaviors. He came in a body of flesh so that he might meet you where you are, where you might be broken in your brokenness and suffering your pain, that he might rise again to invite you to a new hope. Alright, I'm going to close this word of prayer. We're going to share communion in a moment after that. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you love us. That you see us on our best day (laughs) when we are filled with pride and we think we're doing so great and you see the actual shame that covers us you see us on our worst day when we are beat up and covered in our condemnation and you do not see you see love you see us as we are and you love us as we are and you invite us as we are to draw near to the throne of grace, not the throne of performance, the throne of grace to receive love, that in being loved we might be set free and brought into all the blessings that Jesus paid the price that we might receive. Lord, will you break our hearts, break our pride, free us from our shame, Get us off the treadmill of self-performance and allow us to stand in the overflowing, overpowering presence of your grace, loved, fully, completely, boundlessly, loved by a holy and righteous God who invites us to simply rest in that love, to be changed by that love, to be set free by that love. Lord, that's our prayer for 2018 that you would set us free. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.